millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, I'm Connor Pope. This is In the News, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, will Jeffrey Donaldson be able to heal the divisions that have torn the DUP apart? It has been the privilege of my life to serve the people of Northern Ireland as their First Minister and, of course, to represent my home constituency of Fermanagh and South Tyrone. At the end of April, Arlene Foster was told in no uncertain terms by the DUP that her time as party leader and Northern Ireland First Minister was up. The first leadership contest in the DUP's history took place. Edwin Poots solved the challenge of Geoffrey Donaldson by the slimmest of margins. So Geoffrey Donaldson for leader has received 17 votes. For leader Edwin Poots has received 19 votes. As was widely expected, Poots nominated his close ally Paul Given as First Minister. Edwin's not just a colleague. Edwin is a close personal friend of mine and I pay tribute to him and look forward to his leadership. Arlene Foster left the stage with the party she once headed in turmoil. Mr Speaker, a former member of this House said to me last week that my closing speech should be in the style of Father Ted Crilly when he received the Golden Cleric Award. But after a moment of reflection, I thought perhaps not. The parties in Northern Ireland had seven days to appoint a first and deputy first minister. But a row between Sinn Féin and the DUP over the Irish Language Act threatened to derail the process. In the hopes of avoiding the collapse of Stormont, a late-night deal was done with the British government, which will see Westminster introduce the Act if the Assembly doesn't do so before October. For a very long time, the DUP has sought to frustrate these rights. Um, That is most unfortunate, it's also unacceptable and tonight we have broken through that logjam of uh, DUP obstructionism. DUP party members were furious. They blamed the new leader for making concessions to Sinn Féin. You can't lead people who are not following you. So if you're no followers, you can't be a leader, can you? Just three weeks after becoming DUP leader, Edwin Poots was shown the door. More turmoil for the DUP. Edmund Poots, the man who led the campaign to oust Arlene Foster as leader, has himself been removed after an internal party revolt. Quite astonishing developments. Freya McClements is the Northern correspondent with the Irish Times. OK, so Freya, Geoffrey Donaldson is set to be the next leader of the DUP, less than four weeks after he lost the leadership contest to Edwin Poots. What are the big challenges that he now faces as the leader of the party? 
the thing about this is that the challenges just keep getting bigger. You know, I mean, Jeffrey Donaldson faces the same challenges that Edwin Putz faced, the same challenges that Arlene Foster faced, uh, but he's coming to it in the wake of this, you know, this hugely damaging implosion, really, um, with, with within the DUP. You know, we had the, the, the ousting of Arlene Foster in this really acrimonious, bitter way. You know, we had the leadership election. You know, we've now had Edwin Putz, you know, being forced to stand down after only 21 days in office because he just he just simply lost the support of of, of his his party of his his MPs and, and his MLAs you know so so Jeffrey Donaldson is is coming to the leadership of the party you know at, at a time of crisis um, and let's not forget I mean Jeffrey Donaldson was the defeated party in that leadership election I mean albeit by a really small margin it was nineteen votes to seventeen but there's still I mean he has a job of work to do to unite the party. Um, and also to begin to heal, you know, some of these these really, really these deep wounds. Because uh, remember, you know, this was a party that for 50 years, you know, didn't really do things in public. They'd never had a leadership election, you know, and and, and, and suddenly all this this acrimony and this bitterness was, was out in the open and was being played out in this very, very, very public way. Who is Jeffrey Donaldson? I mean, what kind of leader is he likely to be? Because in, in the leadership contest, he was billed as being on the liberal wing of the DUP. And I, I'm just wondering, is that a fair characterization of him? And, and what his leadership style is likely to be? This year marks the centenary of Northern Ireland. An opportunity for all of us who uh, cherish our homeland to look back, to reflect, to celebrate what is good, but also to look to the future. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the sort of the best comparison, if you like, would be that Jeffrey Donaldson would be seen as being more in in the Arlene Foster mould, you know. So again, like Arlene Foster, you know, he's somebody who came originally from the UUP and would be seen to be on that more moderate wing of the party. Now, when we talk about moderate. It's really important to remember that that's within the context of, of, of the DUP, you know. Um, so actually, I think I've used this phrase before, but really you're talking about sort of right wing and only slightly less right wing. You know, I mean, if you look at, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you like, or certainly one of them in regard to Arlene Foster was about this vote over um, the, a, a proposal to ban gay conversion therapy in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and Arlene Foster wanted to wanted to abstain on this and that was seen as being too moderate. So this is sort of the context that that, that we're in. And I suppose in terms of, of Jeffrey Donaldson, I mean he's, you know, certainly, you know, an an, an experienced politician. Um he's the MP for Lagan Valley. He's been there since nineteen ninety seven. So he's the longest serving MP in Northern Ireland. He leads the DU party in Westminster. Um, and that, I mean, he's he's familiar with the corridors of power. You know, he's he's used to engaging in in that um, political milieu in Westminster. I mean, he also has experience as a negotiator. I mean, that started out way back when he was in in the UUP. Um, you know, he was in their negotiating teams as far back as the early nineteen nineties. You know, he's dealt with sort of U.S. presidents, and I mean, he also he, he's certainly had personal experience of the troubles. Um, his cousin Samuel Donaldson was an RUC constable, and he was the first police officer to be killed by the IRA and the troubles and that's something he's spoken about that influenced him. I've lived through this I grew up in it, I know what it's like I lost members of my family murdered by the IRA, no one brought to justice for their killings. You know he, he himself he was a member of the UDR, the sort of the, the, the British Army um, Auxiliary um, if you like during the troubles he's a member of the Orange Order and he's also a Presbyterian, he's a member of the Presbyterian Church and I suppose if you look at the difference you know between him and Edwin Putz a lot of that was often sort of down to language you know Edwin Putz 
put himself forward as, you know, he, he was sort of strong. He would take a strong line in the protocol. He was sort of straight talking. I mean, Donaldson, when you look at the policy, I mean, he's often equally as hard line. You know, there's no real difference in their stance in, in, on the protocol. So what we need, uh, Mr Speaker, is a permanent solution to this problem. And frankly, the sooner the better. Again, when you look at his statement announcing the candidacy, he talked about, you know, building bridges across our divided communities and developing what a shared future means for everyone in, in, in Northern Ireland. I mean, what exactly, you know, again, that's the kind of things, you know, politicians say, what exactly that means in practice. But, you know, even the fact that he includes those words, I think, is a positive thing. There has been talk in recent days that Geoffrey Donaldson could collapse the Assembly if trade barriers in the Irish Sea aren't removed. He could bring it down by simply asking Paul Given to resign as First Minister and then refuse to nominate a replacement. Do you think he might do that? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. Um, but with, with the caveat that, you know, you know, I think we've all become really reluctant just to be absolutely definitive on, on, on anything because, you know, we, we've seen how, how quickly things can, can change. But I mean, you know, again, if, if, if you look at Jeffrey Donaldson's statement on Monday announcing his candidacy for leadership, you know, he, he, he doesn't talk about collapsing the, the, the assembly. You know, he makes the point that, his number one issue is to deal with the protocol. Um, he says he's going to ensure that, that the, the government, the British government, that is, doesn't just listen, but recognises the need to take decisive action to deal with it quickly. He, he does. He gives a warning. He says, you know, a failure to act will undoubtedly have consequences for the stability of our political institutions. But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't make a threat to pull the assembly down. And actually, he talks about um, setting the DUP on the path to victory at next year's election. So that implies that he thinks actually that this that this assembly will be here until next year broadly um, among and I would say this about Sinn Féin as well as the DUP you know there, there, there is no appetite for bringing down the Assembly because we saw what happened the last time um, it collapsed it was it was gone for three years um, the, the DUP and, and, and Sinn Féin lost at the ballot box because of this you know it, it was damaging to them it would be something that the other parties would make huge kind of collateral over um, that said there are thorny issues ahead. I mean, we, we, we saw because of this this seven-day countdown. So if Paul Given resigns as First Minister, we then have another seven-day countdown in which we have to nominate the post of First and Deputy First Minister. You know, that inherently carries within it, within it, given the climate at the minute, that you know, the potential for another political crisis. And I mean, you know, th- there's been speculation, you know, will will the DUP refuse to nominate a first minister unless they get assurances about the protocol or the protocol being scrapped? You know, once you get into that kind of tunnel and that seven day deadline, you know, it's a bit like a game of chicken. Sometimes you can end up where you don't want to be because you don't want to blink. The, you know, the, the best thing from for, for Donaldson's point of view is, is, is a bit of stability, you know, now how that sits with all the questions that are outstanding at the minute over what happens with the first minister position. You know, he's previously expressed an interest when he was running in the leadership election against Edwin Putz. He said that he would uh, he would be first minister. That requires, obviously, um, him to resign his seat at Westminster to come back to Northern Ireland. Do we know when that might happen? When would Geoffrey Donaldson resign his seat and when would he be able to become First Minister. Well, again, you know, we 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 just don't know, and and this is where I suppose all these these moving parts and these different you know eventualities um come in. So, I mean, in in theory, you know, Paul Given has been asked to 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 
stand down as First Minister once Donaldson becomes leader. You know, um, in theory, if Paul Gibbon was to resign immediately, you're into that seven day countdown. I think that's very unlikely. That's going to happen immediately. Um, you know, again, it's about buying that bit of time and that bit of stability to decide what happens next. And, and you, you know, you have a couple of possibilities. Uh, we'll be into the summer recess very quickly. Um, Paul Given could just be left in place even for a few weeks. You know, that kicks the decision down the road a bit. Um, does Jeffrey Donaldson resign immediately? Um, come back, a seat would have to be found for him here then as an MLA. Presumably, you know, you would imagine somebody maybe who wasn't going to stand in the next assembly election will be told, listen, you know, you might stand aside a, w- a wee bit early, but then there's a question of a by-election in Lagan Valley for, for, for the Westminster seat. And it's by no means certain that, that the DUP would, would, would win that contest. Um, equally, you know, you, ha- you have the question, does Jeffrey Donaldson stay on? And perhaps stand stand in the assembly elections whenever that happened has to happen by May. Does he appoint an interim first minister in, in the in in the meantime? You know, there's just there's always just all these questions outstanding at the moment, and and really it's a question of just you know w- waiting to see in, in terms of when we get the clarity on that. But a huge huge number of possibilities, and really I think you know you'd be reluctant at this stage to to to, to put money on on, on exactly anything. Coming up, how did it go so badly wrong for Edwin Poots and can the DUP recover? Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Maybe we could go back a little bit and talk about Edwin Poots because he was leader of the DUP for three weeks before he was ousted. How did he get it so badly wrong, do you think? Yeah, I mean, he simply just didn't listen to his party. He didn't bring the party along with him. And and it's quite remarkable, you know, you have on the one hand somebody who who was elected and who actually promised, you know, one of the things that he promised was that he was going to listen, he was going to be more accountable, you know, he would take sort of views on board. Yet you have this remarkable situation last week where the vast majority of his MLAs were completely against him going ahead with the nomination of Paul Given. Now, that's not because there was any issue with Paul Given, but it was they just wanted him to wait. The issue was about the timing so quickly after this sort of deal had been brokered by the Northern Secretary, by the Secretary of State, Brandon Lewis. Remarkably, that in the, in the face of this, Edwin Putz and, and, and Paul Given get up and leave this meeting 
to go to the Assembly Chamber to nominate Paul Given as First Minister while there's effectively an internal revolt going on. And again, you know, you talk to DUP sources and and people say that, you know, they have just never seen anything like this, you know, in, in all their years of politics. And I mean, surely at that moment, Edwin Putz had to know his fate was sealed. You know, if you if you haven't brought your party with you, if you haven't consulted with them, you know, if they're making their views clear and actually all they were, they were doing was saying, hold on, let's talk about this. You know, there, there was time. There didn't have to be a nomination on, on the Thursday. There was time until the Monday. So so why that that calculation wasn't made? You know, why he didn't say, you know, let's hold on. Clearly, I need to sell this to my party. Mm. I've got time to do it. Those are questions, I suppose, for Edwin Putz. But I mean, he, he's been defending his actions in recent days. And, and he talked in a BBC interview on, on Tuesday morning, you know, he said, look, that he did this because the most important thing was about the protocol. The Assembly needed to stay standing. And, you know, the, the best way to be able to, to do something about the protocol, to have that leverage, was to, to still be there in, in the Assembly. Freya, when he, was, when he was giving that interview on the BBC, he actually also said something interesting. He said that Brandon Lewis, the Northern Ireland Secretary, had given him assurances that there would be changes to the Northern Ireland Protocol in July. Not just a rebranding, not just tinkering around the edges, a, 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 a real serious bit of surgery on the protocol. My ultimate desire is that the protocol, protocol goes in its entirety. But what have you been promised? Um, well, we've, been, we've been promised that there'll be a significant um, uh, win on the protocol, so that's, okay. that, that, that's, that's what the Secretary of State is indicating at this stage. Okay. Do you think if he'd made those assurances known to his party before he was ousted, that could have saved him? Yeah, I mean, it, it was remarkable because we had Edwin Putz saying on the BBC that he'd been given these assurances by the Northern Secretary that that actually were what the DUP w- was looking for. And surely you would have expected that that's the point you go and sell that to your party. You say, you know, look, well, actually, the protocol is the most important thing for this. I have been told by the Northern Secretary, you know, that the UK government's representative in Northern Ireland, that there are going to be significant changes so this is a win for us, you know, why it wasn't it wasn't sold as a win. Uh, the other point that's sort of worth making that, that, that Edwin Putz mentioned in terms of sort of that meeting and, and what had gone wrong, you know, he also told the BBC that I knew at the party officers meeting there were in a particular place and ultimately the majority of them hadn't wished me to be leader in the first instance. So he's sort of claiming that, you know, part of this was, you know, they'd been waiting in the long grass. It was sort of, you know, his opponents get, getting their own back. But I mean, that's quite clearly not all of the story because there were people in, in the meeting with MLAs and a few MPs earlier on Thursday who had voted for Putz, who had signed the letter against Arlene Foster, but yet didn't back him. Yeah, it's funny if if they'd been waiting in the long grass, they weren't waiting very long. Well, indeed, sh- short grass, really, you know, you might say. <laughs> One of the things that, that was a uh, flashpoint when it came to Edwin Poots losing his job was the Irish Language Act. And that's come to the fore multiple times in Northern politics. If we have an Irish Language Act, maybe we should have a Polish Language Act as well because there are more people in Northern Ireland that speak Polish and speak Irish. Watching Arlene Foster on TV belittle our language just shows to me how important it is that we do finally get our Irish Language Act. Why is it so toxic? Why is that issue so toxic in Northern Ireland? Really, it's because it feeds into questions of, of identity and, and, and respect. And, and it, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, it's been a sticking point for a long, long time. And I suppose most recently, you know, that that was what 
frustrated attempts to have the Assembly restored before January 2020. I mean, if you talk to unionists, they'll say that they've nothing against the Irish language. But the point they make, they they sort of say it's been, to quote, weaponized by Sinn Féin, that it's being used to promote an anti-British agenda. Um, and sort of specifically in terms of this legislation, you know, they say, look, there are other priorities. You know, th- th- this is legislation that is contained within the new decade, new approach deal, which which restored Stormont in 2020. And, and they're saying, well, look, there are loads of things in this new decade, new approach that haven't been implemented. You know, really important things about roads and, and, and you know, lots all these sort of things. Why is such a minority thing being picked out? And there's this phrase that sort of often comes up, which I think goes back to the 1980s, you know, that, you know, every word of Irish spoken is like another bullet being fired in the struggle for, for Irish freedom. You know, and that, that's sort of a, a phrase that, that often gets quoted that to, to kind of sum up, you know, why there is such a sticking point about this. I mean, from, from the nationalist point of view, you know, as I said, this goes beyond the Irish language and it's sort of a litmus test of unionist attitudes towards the Irish identity. And that we've seen through some, I mean, the, the crocodile comments by the then First Minister Arlene Foster, you know, says, you know if you feed, feed the crocodile, they'll keep coming back for more. There was the cancellation of a, a £50,000 grant scheme to send students to, to the Gaeltac. And there were things like, you know, the, the renaming of a boat because its original name was in the Irish language. And these are sort of, you know, things that are seen as, you know, pretty petty, really. I mean, who renames a boat because its name is in Irish? But that this is sort of indicative of a wider attitude of, of sort of disrespect, not just to the Irish language, but to people with, with an Irish identity. And I suppose it's worth saying, you know, that the road ahead on this isn't completely clear either, you know. So we've had this intervention by the Northern Secretary, you know, this cultural package, so not just the Irish language legislation, um, is going to be passed at Westminster. And again, it, you know, it's worth pointing out in the context of the UK, you know, there are laws in place, been in place for a long time in Scotland and Wales about minority languages um, that go far beyond um, what's being proposed here. I mean, for example, in Wales, you have road signs in Welsh, you know, they're not, it isn't going to be that here. But I mean, the, the pledge, if you like, by the UK government that they will intervene and bring this in in October. That's it dealt with in the one hand, but I'd be very surprised if there aren't further wrangles about it um, between now and then. And maybe uh, briefly, because I know it's a, it's a big, big question, but if you could briefly outline what are the likely consequences of the weeks of upheaval that have been endured by the DUP? Yeah, well, again, I suppose, as I've said, there's clearly there's a job of work to unite the party. There are then the wider questions about unionism, about the identity and the dire- and direction of unionism. There's what happens in terms of the Northern Ireland Protocol, you know, which unionists are still, you know, strongly opposed to and they, they, they want dealt with to their satisfaction, depending on who you talk to, they want it scrapped. There's also still the question of the Irish language legislation, there's also, you know, just where we are in terms of the power sharing assembly. I mean, all of this has been really damaging again to the stability of these institutions, which have only been back up and running. You know, they came back in January 2020. A few months later, we were into the middle of the, the COVID pandemic. You know, power sharing has never been particularly strong in, in Northern Ireland. We could have another threat to that again if there's another crisis over nominations. So I think there, there are long standing implications for that. One of the things that I've also seen over the last sort of days and weeks is just the extent of the disillusionment um, within the public about this. You know, it's seen as, you know, all these politicians up in Stormont fighting. You know, there's a question over the extent to which 
It's damaged the appearance of, of Stormont in the eyes of the public. You know, it's certainly it's damaged relations in Stormont. And it's also, I think it, it, it's just sort of damaging to Northern Ireland in general. And, and so, you know, some, some of the parties will, will, will make this point. You know, I mean, the STLP leader, Colm would making the point to me that, you know, a mess for one is a mess for us all, you know, uh, and this is what we end up end up with. You know, we just end up with sort of crisis after crisis and there is just no future in, in all these crises. And one of the things that we've talked about in the past is how the DUP has been struggling in the polls. It's a long way behind Sinn Féin. The traditional uh, unionist voice are making inroads, the UUP, the Alliance Party. Can it recover in time for the next Assembly elections? And right now, does it seem inevitable that Sinn Féin will be able to appoint the first minister. Yeah, and I mean, th- this is, you know, the biggest challenge for the DUP because, you know, if you're a political party, you know, the first thing you need to, need to do is be in power. You need to be elected or else you can't you can't do anything. And, you know, going by the polls, if there was an election tomorrow, you know, Sinn Féin would be the largest, largest party and Sinn Féin would elect the first minister. And I mean, if you look at the, the, the most recent figures, you know, it put the DUP on 16%, it put the Alliance on 16%, Ulster Unionist on 14%, Traditional Unionist Voice on 11 and Sinn Féin at 26 you know, so there's a clear gulf there. And the big problem for the DUP is, I mean, it's not even just salami slicing, it's they're being kind of, you know, sliced in absolutely all directions because, and this is where this question about the future direction of, of the DUP comes in, you know, do they go as seems to be the impulse? Do they go more hardline to try and keep the grassroots on board to stem what they're losing to the TUV? But there was a great stat that actually for every one vote that the DUP was losing to the TUV, they were losing three or four to Alliance. And that's actually just because particularly younger, but but sort of, you know, more moderate people from, you know, what would have been seen as a unionist background, they have a problem with the DUP stance on social issues. You know, they're just simply too right wing for them. They're going to the alliance in, in, in droves. You also have the UUP. They've got what's termed this sort of beaty bounce because of the new um, Ulster unionist leader, Doug Beattie. And, and, you know, we've seen We've seen councillors leave the DUP. We've we've seen some individuals move to the UUP. So, you know, they're really being sort of sliced in all directions, if you like. And and actually what I think will be really interesting is not just if, you know, if Sinn Féin are the largest party and, and, and their Sinn Féin nominates the first minister. And I mean, this is, you know, you absolutely can't underestimate the symbolism of this for unionism, you know, to, to not be the largest party, to not be the party of the first minister in the centenary year, you know, it, it, it'll be a body blow. What I think is potentially also really interesting, if you go back to those figures, Alliance, I think, are confident of a good election. You know, what would be really interesting would be if you had Sinn Féin as the largest party and Alliance as, as, as the second largest party, because that then really upsets the traditional binary nationalist and, and unionist. I mean, that, that would be really interesting. Freya, thanks very much for talking to us. In the news, we'll be back in your feeds soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash 
upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 